Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan, back again. Today, we're welcoming William Deverell to read from his new book, Kathy Fiscus, A Tragedy That Transfixed the Nation, and have a conversation with me after. But before I introduce him, I want to remind you that Skylight Books offers curbside pickup and online ordering on our website, and we currently have a limited um, capacity, so come visit us at our store hours, which is 11 to 7 on the weekdays and 10 to 8 on the weekends. William Deverell is a professor of history and director of the Huntington USC Institute on California in the West at the West at the University of South California. He's the author of numerous studies of the 19th and 20th century American West, including whitewash adobe, the rise of Los Angeles in the remaking of its Mexican past. Welcome, William. So happy to have you, or Bill, I should say. Hi, Thanks Bill. so much. No problem. I'm happy to have you here. You have a reading for us today? I do. I'm going to read from the very early parts of the book. Perfect. Friday, April 8th, 1949, arrived cool and breezy in Southern California. Sometime that morning, Alice Fiscus put her two girls in the family car and drove to Union Station in downtown Los Angeles to pick up her sister, Jeanette Lyon, Jeanette's husband, Hamilton, and their two boys. The Lyons had traveled up from Chula Vista near San Diego to spend the weekend in San Marino so their children close in age could play. The Fiscus girls, Barbara or Babs and Kathy were nine and three. Their lion cousins, Stanley and Gus were 10 and five. Alice Fiscus was recovering from some recent surgery. Her doctor insisted that as she recuperated, she was not to pick up or hold Kathy. But at the big train station, something startled the little girl maybe the bustling crowd or a train whistle or the rumble of an engine. And Kathy jumped into her mother's arms. For the first time in six months, Alice stood and held her youngest child. Kathy stayed in Alice's arms most of the time at the train station. I always felt that I was so glad to have had that opportunity to do that, Alice would later say. Alice, Jeanette, Hamilton, and the children all piled into the Fiscus's Studebaker and drove home on the Arroyo Seco Parkway. Back at home in San Marino, about a dozen miles northeast of downtown, Alice caught up with her sister. By late afternoon, the kids had gone out behind the house to play in a big and weedy six-acre field. The family's beloved brown and white terrier, Jeepers, romped alongside. Alice and Jeanette began to prepare dinner, as they did, 
Alice stood at her chin window where she could look out onto the field. The cousins got along well. While their mothers chatted, they planned, ran and played. It was nearing 4.30 and the sun began its dip towards sunset. I could see the kids out back playing, Alice said, just running as children do. She heard them laugh as they played. Jeepers ran back and forth with them, excited to have as many, so many playmates. Kathy lagged behind the other children, still in the pink party dress she had worn to the train station. They would look back, she would catch up, and then quickly fall behind again. Alice counted heads. Three, not four. The littlest child was missing. She was just there. Now she was not. Where had she gone? Alice went out back and asked the children where Kathy had gone. The others thought she was hiding. Maybe she was angry with the bigger kids for racing ahead of her. Or perhaps she had gone over to the new playground at the K.L. Carver Elementary School at the far end of the field. Alice sensed that something was wrong. She got into the Studebaker and drove over to the schoolyard. Not finding Kathy, she came right back and went out into the field again. Gus Lyon heard cries near a tractor in the field. He went to investigate. She's here, he shouted. It was Kathy. Alice would later say it was an absolute miracle that Gus heard her. Kathy had fallen into a well. That was a great reading. Thank you so much for this. Um, Bill, so how are you doing this morning? You doing? I'm doing great. Uh, as I sit here in Pasadena, it's pouring rain outside. I love the rain. As I... It makes me actually comfortable inside today. All right, we need the rain too. I feel like this is perfect weather for this conversation too, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I want to start off by how I always uh, start off um, with asking my, the author how, like, how are you spending your, um, what's getting you through, whether it's books, music, uh, podcasts, whatever, getting you through the pandemic right now? What's something that you've just discovered that's giving you kind of that comfort that you need? Uh, great question. It's a real pleasure to be here today, Lance. Thank you. Um, Let's see, I take a lot of walks. Uh, I take a lot of walks with my wife or our dogs or our children. Um, so I've been able to explore the neighborhood in really deep ways, which has been very, very nice. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time Zooming with my graduate students to check in on them and see how they're doing through all this turmoil. Yeah. Um, and that's actually been useful for all of us, I think. And then I'm reading, I'm reading, um, you know, books that have been stacked up on my nightstand that I should read both professionally and personally. And that's always a joy. Oh, yeah. No, that's good. Any good books that you um, read recently that you would love to just shout out on the podcast right now? Well, I've just started uh, The Dearly Beloved, um, which I'm just, just barely into, and I'm enjoying that very much. Uh, a Gentleman from Moscow, oh, I'm reading. I'm also reading a, a new history of Native Californians, uh, Native American, Indigenous Californians, which mm -hmm. I'm very impressed by. Oh, wow. No, great books. Great books that you can order from Skylight, too, to all my listeners. Um, no. Uh, so let's get into it. This, the, this is a wild story. Like, this is a crazy, like, before I came on the podcast, I wanted, I, like, looked it up, and I looked up just anything about it just it's crazy what happened can you uh tell our listeners kind of like a short summary of like just the event itself not even what's in your book just the event sure so the event is um in the springtime of 1949 where this little girl that you met in the little reading i did kathy fiscus tumbles down uh the casing of an abandoned well that had been sunk in san marino in 1903 
and for more than 48 hours, her fate is unknown. Mm -hmm. um, she's fallen a great deal uh, of distance down that well, and a feverish rescue attempt is launched uh, to try to get her out of there. And in doing so, that changes American media and American television forever. This feels like something that, and I don't know if the rest of my listeners will have this feeling that I, I know I knew about, but I didn't know about. You know, I feel like there's always like a spoof of of someone like a falling down a well in like a TV show. You'll hear it or something like that. Like a movie might have that premise. It'll, but like I feel like it definitely or originates from this, right? It originates. Yes, from uh, you know, you're not alone in thinking you may have heard of this before because it has seeped into popular culture for yeah. sure. Um, so that kind of trope of a child in a well um, and the ways in which it's reverberating through popular culture, film, television, et cetera, that is from this event. And also there was an event in the more recent past uh, where a little girl fell into an abandoned well in Texas, Jessica McClure, mm -hmm. and she was rescued, I think in the 1980s. But all these stories actually go back to this one in 1949 and the fate of Kathy Fiscus. Wow. Oh my God. That's so, could you tell me about a time, the time when you just like got so transfixed in the story that like, you were like, I got to write about this. I got to let people know about this. This is something that like, yeah, moving right now. So this has been a very unusual project for me in my, in my professional work as an historian. I've never had a project that grabbed hold of my head and my heart. Um, so this one has done that. It's been a long journey for me to get this book done. Um, I think once my daughter, who's now 20, became a toddler, uh, I think this story, which I knew about, I think the story began to mean more to me. And then I realized about 12 or 15 years ago, actually, that uh, the event took place just within a couple miles from my house. So I know exactly where that well is. We've traced it through GIS positioning. So it has a kind of reverberation locally for me that's very powerful. And it's been a couple of years where I was walking with a friend at the Huntington Library in the gardens. And he said to me, you need to write a book about this. You need to get this book done. And so I, I thank him because he was right. And right. now it is done. Yeah. No, I mean, like, and it's crazy that that story has been with you for over like two decades, right? Well, it's probably, it's certainly uh, 12 to 15 years where I've been wrestling with it, doing the research, trying to get the story right. I've worked on other things, of course. Right. But um, this one is a kind of had a kind of special and unusual hold on me. There's no doubt. Oh my God, that's so that's so amazing. Um, so, is in like discovering that it's even in your neighborhood. Have have you seen in your neighborhood how like the effects since you're local to that area too? How like the effects of that event kind of stuck with the community there? Great question. Yes, the answer is yes because. Even though the event was uh, 70 plus years ago, mm. there's plenty of people around uh, who stayed put right here. So if I give a talk about the event or perhaps someone knows that I'm working on this book, uh, people will recall being there and they'll recall being brought there by their parents. So they're, because again, the rescue attempt takes place across two full days. Mm -hmm. uh, so people do remember it very, very clearly. And also people say in the aftermath of the event, when they were little children, their parents put even more protective embrace around them as children, didn't let them out of their sight, didn't let them go play beyond the limits of their backyard because this event scared people. Right. Um, so yeah, it still reverberates, no question. 
the one of the things about the story that really does also just fascinate me is how the this this did shape kind of American media for like how it was broadcast and how it was like shown to families across the world where you said that 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 community of people there like got kind of more protective of their children that probably happened nationwide even like internationally yeah i think it does lance because um while the rescue attempt goes on Mm -hmm. uh, 24 7 times two right uh the wire service print media the newsreel media and the television media make this page one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's sent across the world. The fate of a little girl remains unknown. Feverish rescue attempt launched, etc. So it did touch people across the world and it does invent live remote television news, which <laughs> no one thought could work until this event proves that it can. Did, is it like, um... Just, what, was there like new methods and new um, techniques used in this broadcast that kind of changed media too? So uh, also an excellent question. The, the television cameras, two television stations, local stations show up. Mm-hmm. Um, they show up as the rescue attempt is uh, moving into its first full day. Mm-hmm. And the television producers and the technical experts believe that the big bulky cameras that they're using if they're filming them outside in the sun mm-hmm. uh, for a long period of time, they're quite convinced their equipment will melt. Right. And they think that it's going to destroy the equipment. Well, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't melt. And also they have the luxury that they can aim their cameras due north, right at the top of Mount Wilson, mm-hmm. where they have transmission capabilities for live television. So it's an experiment. And I think most people in the TV business thought it would fail, but it doesn't. And as a consequence, television, which had been around, of course, but had not yet proven itself newsworthy in the ways in which live remote television news is, of course, now very common. Right. It, it causes that to be possibility. And in the aftermath of the Kathy Fiscus event, television sales go through the roof in Southern California and beyond, I'm sure, because it is such a galvanizing moment in American media. That seems like... Um... Also, it could have had a, did it have any effects in like, I mean, one being so close to the uh, Hollywood industry, but like, did it have any with effects on like shooting film outside too for Hollywood? Did they see kind of that implication there? I don't know the answer to that. I, I do think you're right that the event reverberates with a particular kind of uh, significance in the capital of American media in Southern right. California. So. I think there is a reverberation here because of Hollywood, because of a variety of media outlets here already by the immediate post-war. So it has a certain California feel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I think, you know, this is right after the second world war closes. And so suburban Southern California is for many people tremendously exciting Mm -hmm. about, you know, let's try to try on the future. And this event happens essentially in suburban Southern California to put all that at least momentarily into real question and also tinged by tragedy. It just, it's always amazing to hear about like these stories of um, innovation coming from like kind of uh, these huge events like that. That's crazy. How did, um, 
how did that event also like reverberate in media till today? Like how something that you see today used in media, you were like, oh, you were researching this event and saying, that's where that came from. That's, that is what yeah. happens. Most of what I've seen in terms of reverberations until today have to do with the ways in which the event is embedded in popular culture. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's as you said, where this kind of story that we tell ourselves about a child in a well, um, that does date back to this. There's a moment, we all know this, a kind of comedic moment where uh, Lassie's barking at somebody and the owner of Lassie says, what is it girl, Timmy's fallen down a well? <laughs> well, in the television show Lassie, which is of this era, mm -hmm. uh, Timmy never falls down a well. And so the reference is to the Kathy Fiscus event. Wow. Um, there's movies made of this. There's actually an African-American version of this brought to television in 1951 called The Well where a little black girl falls in a well and is rescued in an act of racial solidarity between whites and blacks in the town. Wow. And that's calling upon the Kathy Fiscus story mm -hmm. for sure. And there's a Bart Simpson episode where our Simpsons episode where Bart pretends he's fallen down a well. Mm -hmm. So it's it, in a sense, it's everywhere. And then, as I say in the book, it also changed the way in which Americans named their little girls. Wow. That's, so, I mean, yeah, you think, you think about, like, I could probably think of, like, 10 more examples of it in media that I've just seen in my life. That's so crazy to think about. How did this event, and you, and you talk about in your book, probably, I'm, you, how did this event affect the Fiscus family? Like, um, so the Fiscus family eventually moved. So the house that they lived in was on, at, at the field that had the well and, and about 10 other wells. Um, they eventually moved kind of around the corner, mm -hmm. although they could still see the field from their house. And then eventually they move up the coast to Santa Barbara years and years later. Mm -hmm. Kathy's big sister, Barbara, um, who has become a, a, an email and phone friend of mine and was very generous with me, giving me family photographs for the mm -hmm. book. She told me that as she grew older and became a teenager, she oftentimes meeting people referred to herself as an only child. And she said her mother would be furious at her for that because of course she wasn't an only child. So it undoubtedly affected the Fiscus family. And they also are the recipients of thousands and thousands of letters written to them from around the world to express condolences uh, about the loss of Kathy. And how did that loss kind of also just in the community, like River, you kind of said that it, the town became more protective, but did, was there like more safety measures put in place too by the town? Yes, um, not just in Southern California, but I think around the country, if not further, there are so-called Kathy Fiscus laws enacted in the aftermath of the tragedy, which are designed towards well safety, um, uh, other kinds of safety on the landscape regarding water sources, ravines, ditches, that kind of thing. So there is an attempt to put laws in effect that will protect children from this kind of fate. So her mom, in the years after the event, mm -hmm. when she was interviewed, let's say at the 10 and 20 and 30 and 50 year you know, events marking this tragedy, mm -hmm. her mom often said that though, of course, she still mourned her daughter, she felt that her sacrifice had probably saved a lot of lives of children who would have been put in harm's way were it not for these laws. That's 
so I mean just like to come out of that tragedy and have that thought is so uh, I, I the word I don't even know to, I can't find that word but it's just like uh, extraordinary just yeah wow um while researching and just digging into this book and you said you were talking to people who were there and all that was there any fact or facts plural that just shocked you that you were you were not you were did not see coming or could not see coming yes there are a lot of surprises in this book um at the rescue attempt there's a whole group of i think almost always men mm -hmm. who are engineers and ditch diggers and septic tank diggers right they know how to do it but they don't know what to do in other words how are we going to get her out of there She's fallen 90 feet. She falls nine stories down this well casing. Wow. So one of the more eccentric ways in which people contemplate rescuing her is sending someone down the well she's fallen into, mm -hmm. grab her and pull her back up. Well, the well casing she falls in is extraordinarily narrow. It's 14 inches in diameter. And as a consequence, anyone that goes down there has to be small. Mm -hmm. So the call goes out to get jockeys from Santa Anita race track. The call goes out to the thin man from the circus. Maybe the thin man can get down there. People drop off their own children and say, drop Billy down the well and you know, head, head first with a rope and he'll grab her and pull her back up. So all this surprised me, but it's, a, it's an example of just how urgent and confused the rescue attempt was. And her father refuses to let anyone go down that well to rescue her that way. So the only way they know to get her is to dig parallel holes and then tunnel across to where she is, open up her well, pull her out to safety and up. And that's eventually what they try to do. Mm. That, I mean, yeah, like you could see like, I mean, it probably sounds crazy today to think of those options, but yeah, like when you're limited like that. Um, well, I, it's fascinating, Lance, because one of the first responders, who's a firefighter mm -hmm. um, from Pasadena, he's interviewed 30 years after the event and in 1979. And he says to the interviewer, if it would have happened today, we would have gotten her. And I don't quite know what he means. I don't know. I mean, she's still 90 feet down there if it happened in 1979. How do you get to her? Now, eventually they, in 1949, eventually they do get to her. Right. But she's, but she's died. Mm -hmm. it's like too late but I mean do you think that like him saying that was a hope more hopeful than like you know I, like I don't know I wish I'd been there uh when he gives the interview because it's something about technique it's something about the ability to dig into the earth faster right um, because she is alive she when she falls in she's alive and crying mm -hmm. that I mean like yeah, I feel like hearing, even hearing like that, you tell me that feels like the ending of this like dark movie where it's just like, that's the last thing you hear from it. Wow. Yeah. Um, how did, and we kind of touched on it too with like, you're talking about the movies and um, that came from it and like in pop culture, but immediately did Hollywood with it being so close kind of respond to it? Did they, were they like, wanting to put this in production, wanting to get this story out? Well, Hollywood responds in kind of curious ways. Um, 20th Century Fox loans big lights to the scene. So big, you know, film at night lights, click lights, 
are loaned to the scene to light it up like daylight uh, mm -hmm. across the two days of night that they try to rescue her. So mm -hmm. Hollywood's there in that way. Um, a number of Hollywood actors, uh, John Barrymore and others, mm -hmm. send flowers and condolences to the funeral. And then this television show called The Well uh, is broadcast in 1951. So pretty soon, you know, the event is Easter of 1949. Right. Um, so pretty quickly, it finds its way into popular culture cinematically or through episode or not episodic television show. And did it did like shows like that still capture the same audience that were watching it broadcasted around? Oh, I think so. And then the uh, Billy Wilder, um, who was obsessed by this event, clearly. Um, Billy Wilder makes a movie called Ace in the Hole, right. which is in part about Kathy Fiscus and in part about an event in the 1920s where a spelunker named Floyd Collins gets trapped under the earth in a cave. And he interviewed guys in there. And, and Billy Wilder is fascinated by that event and the Kathy Fiscus event, and in essence, kind of puts them together in this classic dark. Wow, that's, it's just so fascinating to hear too, how like other people like Billy Wilder kind of was affected by that too. Um, and so I have one last question for you about this book. Um, do you, did you personally like feel like you were, you like felt Kathy while you're researching this? You like felt kind of, you knew, you've knew more about Kathy kind of as a person after making this book? Yes, um, I lived with it and I felt like I knew the case really well. And I think I put the story together in the way in which I thought it should be put together. Mm -hmm. And then the real powerful moment for me was use, utilizing the generous help of colleagues in geography and spatial science. I was able to find the site of the well because it's actually kind of moved in popular culture since 1949 hasn't moved literally, but people think it's over here. No, it was over there. No, it was over here. And now I know where it was and I can get there within about maybe five feet. I can stand on the um, track and the football field at San Marino High, mm -hmm. underneath which is the well called the Johnson well that Kathy fell into. So being on the site makes it even more powerful to me. And you still visit there? Yes, I was just there the other day. Wow, that's so, oh my God. And is it, um, I, I lied. I said that was my last question before, but I have one more. Is there anywhere where people can go visit um, or see any like memorial? Well, there, yes, uh, good question. So uh, um, at the Northern end of the high school, there is a practice field, a soccer field and a practice field. And there's a small grove of oak trees there. And there's a plaque there that was put there years and years ago um, in memorial of her. And there's also one at the fairly new San Marino Public Library down in Huntington Drive. And so, and then her grave in, in San Diego County, um, people still put flowers there. So nice. If you're a listener and you're around there, yeah, go check it out. Go visit and pay respects to Kathy. Um, Thank you so much, Bill. This has been such a great conversation. Any last words that you have for our um, listeners or just the independent bookstore community as a whole? No, I, well, yes, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you, Lance. I, I'm, you. I'm very excited to be able to talk about a book that I'm so pleased is done. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, rock on independent booksellers. No, thank you. Thank you for this. And thank, and this has been such a pleasure to learn so much more about it. I feel like events like this is one that's so important to our history and our, like we still watch broadcast news. I kind of feel like in the same way where like you look at like, I want to say like presidential elections because that's the most recent thing I can think of. But like big tragedies, big tragedies that happen in the world or big things and we're all, we'll all come together in that way. And I feel like a lot of that has to do in part with this event. So in that way too, we kind of celebrate Kathy's legacy, I want to say. And I don't know if you agree with that or not, but like- Well, I yeah, I think, you know, it's a tragic event and it's terribly, terribly sad, mm -hmm. but maybe some good came of it in the shape of either community solidarity and faith or hope, uh, certainly heroism. Yeah. And then these laws. And I, and like, as um, her family said, maybe they, they could have, they, this stopped so many more deaths. And like, yeah, we can only hope so. We yeah. can only hope so. Well, thank you for sharing your work with us again, Bill. You are, this has just been so great. Um, and today's guest again, his name is William Deverell and discussing Kathy Fiscus. Um, you can order your copy at skylightbooks.com um, or you can call in the store or come visit and grab a copy too. Thank you again for listening and you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.